how do leaders act, like I said, in, you know, if somebody makes a mistake, and I'm not talking a mistake, let's say somebody makes a catastrophic mistake. What do you do? How do you like draw the line between frustration that would lead to your own anger or emotion coming out, as opposed to saying, you know, this is done. Business is going to suffer. It's, it may be your neck on the line, but how do you truly like build empathy and love into that situation and, and show everyone else how you act when a mistake is made? Hey everybody, what's good? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And if this is your first time on the show, we're a podcast that share the stories of impact and change from startups in India. And today I have Ankush Gera with me, who's the founder of Jungle Games. And I'm so excited to get into this interview because it's a story of starting companies, iterating, and then starting another company that is ending up doing, which is Jungle Games, which is doing incredible things. And Ankush really has a unique perspective on culture. You know, why is culture so important to the growth of a company and the sustaining growth of a company. And I'm so excited to get into all of these things. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot. I'm sure you're going to learn a lot. So Ankush, let's get started from right at the beginning. Um, what's your background and kind of how did you get into tech and gaming? Uh, yeah, academically, I'm a double major in bioinformatics and computer science. Uh, so I think that that laid the foundation for the work I do, although I haven't written a line of code, I think, since 2001. Uh, but yeah, just uh, uh, college was, was sort of more computer science and bioinformatics for me. Very quickly realized I didn't want to be an engineer, but if I was ever going to write a piece of code, it'd be nice to do it for a biotech company, to do it for DNA research, and that's how I got into bioinformatics. And you know, like, like you were saying, in college, you, you didn't necessarily think that you wanted to do computer science, but did you, have you always known that you wanted to, to start something on your own or did it just come out organically? So just go into that a little bit. Yeah, I was reflecting on catching up with a friend from, from college and, and I, I very distinctly remember this day that we gave our last final uh, at SJSU, which is where I graduated from here in the Bay Area. And uh, we uh, celebrated uh, in the parking lot, had a few beers. And three out of three friends that, you know, we were all in computer science and, and did the same final. I don't know if it was math or something else, but we got out, we celebrated, we had teed that up in the parking lot so we, we wouldn't wait. And uh, as soon as we celebrate, while we were celebrating, I, I distinctly remember two or all three saying that they, re- they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I think two out of the three uh, went to eBay or PayPal at the time. Now, this is 20 years ago, almost. Uh, For me, the only real job I've held was, uh, well, I've had two. They were both in college. Uh, Since then, I haven't worked uh, for anyone, but both in college. One of them was an internship at a biotech company called Beckman Coulter. Uh, They make centrifuges. These are like washing machines that spin DNA. And uh, I had an internship, so they picked a bunch of, they kind of got a mechanical engineer, a computer science engineer, they got a bunch of people from, from college. And you know, I did that, it was supposed to be a 90 day summer internship, I was quite excited, uh, very, very large company, uh, lots of exposure. You know, we were probably 45 days in, so halfway into this internship that Kevin, who was my boss at the time, came in and said, hey, like, I have some bad news to share and you know, we got to we got to let you go. And I was like, that's interesting. Like we're halfway into a 90 day thing. It's not like we're signed up for life. What's going on? He's like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not you at all. We're letting everybody go. And before we let our FTEs, our full-time employees go, we have to like, you know, sort of trim the fat and let the interns and the temps leave. I was like, Kevin, don't stress. It's an internship, right? It's just, it is what it is. Like for, for me, I was sort of oblivious to that. Um, but what I noticed, right, it was kind of a wake up call. I saw people in tears. I saw people in those 45 days, I obviously become friends with a lot of people. And uh, some of them had been in, with the company for two decades, 25 years, right? They just sort of grown old with the company. 
And to see all these people get pink slips and just get laid off, uh, I was like, man, I don't think I ever want to work for someone. I don't think I ever want to be in an environment where somebody else controls and, and can let, let me go after putting in 10, 20 years of just being in service for the company. So I think I knew from that, that one <laughs> you know, jaded experience that I don't think I could, I could put myself or like put on a suit and tie and, and drive to work every day and spend three hours in the car and commute. So I kind of knew, uh, and, uh, and there's a history before Monsoon, happy to get into that. But you know, that was for me, that was the reason that I, I just knew that I wouldn't be going to eBay or PayPal or HP or Microsoft, any of those things. So. Oh, that, that's <laughs> a very interesting story. I, that doesn't happen to most people on internships. And I, I, could, I, I could see it like how easily that would have such a huge impact on you because I agree, like seeing people go after 20 years must have been really challenging. And let, let's get into that. So you're, you're graduating college. Everybody else is getting jobs. Were you even applying for your jobs or you, you were like, you know what? I am starting my own thing. No, you know, for, I was lucky enough, like I said, I only had two, two jobs. I tend to forget the, this internship. I actually haven't thought of it or reflected on it in a long time because it's 45 days long. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had one other job. These are all things I did in college. I was going to, you know, you can go to school for three days and work for two days or vice versa. So I was kind of doing that. And one experience was this Beckman Coulter. The other one was at a, a, a construction engineering firm, which I saw, I witnessed go from zero to 60 employees in six months and bankruptcy in 11. So kind of lived through these very interesting experiences. Uh, and that company was started by an Intel, uh, ex-Intel engineer who had no business running a, a construction uh, company at the time. Very, very interesting experiences in college. So. No, I didn't. I didn't apply to jobs. Not at the time, not after college. What I did do was just sort of pick up the phone book and I knew the work I had done at this construction engineering firm. You know, I'd gotten exposed to to doing everything from this. Remember, this is now this is in college. This is 1999, 2000, uh, Mm -hmm. early dot com days um, and uh, and learning how to build web apps and websites and and really find teams around the world and work with them. So that's kind of some of the work I'd done. And I I just figured out like, what if I could, you know, just like you have a general contractor in the construction world, you have a PM or a product manager, project manager in in, in when it comes to, to tech. And that always felt like an area of interest to me where I could just see all the pieces and guide people to, to, to do it. And, I had a good balance of both creative and tech and product and learned a little bit of marketing. So started doing that. And uh, before Monsoon, there was a, you know, picked up, this is the, these are the days where, you know, online directories, uh, Yelp obviously didn't exist, but these are the days where people were still picking a very thick yellow pages phone book. So I, I remember calling because I had done some work for that construction business. I remember picking up uh, two things. One was the Pack Bell or SBC or whatever it was called, Yellow Pages phone book, and then a really terrible small magazine called the Penny Saver. And as the ne- name suggests, you were buying stuff for for pennies, and you would find everyone advertised for a garage sale or construction company. So uh, very very sort of uh, you know getting 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 down and dirty, making phone calls telling people that, you know, I've, I've built websites for construction businesses. And I remember my first project, cause I still laugh about it. It sounds cliched, but it was Bob, the roofing contractor. His business name was Bob, the roofer, uh, or, wow. you know, roof, roofing contractor. So he would put up roofs and, and drains and, and things like that. And uh, so I built his website and that was kind of a first experience where, you know, I could find somebody on, rentdecoder.com or you know odesk came later but all these freelance websites where you could hire developers and i could product i could project manage that and uh, and ship it so i acted as sort of the delivery product guy brought in uh talent that i outsourced from odesk or or free rentdecoder these websites i think it was rentdecoder at the time and, uh, and yeah, got a taste of like, you know, very, very small $10,000 or $5,000 websites, but the cost to build them was sort of a small fraction. Um, so ended up doing that a lot. 
know, yeah, I just ended up doing that a whole bunch and picking up and, and new construction so I could speak the language. And most of these guys are, you know, they're, they're old school. They're just getting on. The world is just getting online. So they're very excited that they're getting an inbound lead to, to get them up and running. Um, these are very, very small, not even medium, but like small businesses. Did that for a while and then met one of my two business partners. And, uh, and you know, there's a company I had started to do all this work. It was called, I think, some cheesy name for looking back at it now called WebAmped. And uh, so I was running a company called WebAmped, which, which is a company I did all these consulting deals through and then also had some retail interests. And another business partner of mine had a company called Big Circle Media. And uh, so we kind of just met as three friends. BCM was a little bit bigger than WebAmped, but you know, all these companies were barely paying our founder salaries. These weren't like big, we're not talking TCS. Uh, these are very, very tiny companies, barely paying you know, ourselves to live in, live in the Valley. But yeah, so we, uh, we came together and, and you know, beca uh, became sort of closer friends. And, uh, and yeah, a year later rebranded to, to Monsoon, but that's, that's kind of the backstory. Nice. And during this time, you know, I know the dot-com boom was going on. Everybody's learning about the internet. Internet stocks are going crazy. Um, I just want to know, did, did people, were people receptive? Like Bob's the builder. I wouldn't expect him to want to have a website. So like, were people like, yes, let's get on this website thing. Or were, did, did it involve a lot of convincing to get them going? Oh, I think it was a, it was a very low hit rate. So I don't think the people that weren't convinced, they just weren't convinced, right? It was more like making, I don't remember the number, was it a, a hundred calls or 500 calls to, to convert Bob? Uh, but it was just picking up the phone, but, but you know, the people who were, who had their mind made up just sort of didn't want to commit, but then the one out of a hundred or the one out of 500 or a thousand leads that did convert, it didn't take hard work to sell to them. Um, they were just interested, right? And the price point we're talking about is so low uh, that it wasn't, it wasn't such a tough sell once we had interest. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it was just, it was me just, yeah, picking up, uh, picking up the phone book and calling a lot of people. And, you know, if I got two leads in a day, that was quite interesting. Uh, but usually that wasn't the case. So, yeah, that lasted wow. for about, about a year or so. Uh, yeah. Is it tough to hear a lot of no's along the way? Or is that just like, you know, put it aside, let's go on to the next person in the book? You know, it's like, at the time, I'm sure it was difficult. But for me, like my memory tends to move on. So I don't, if you ask me, like, do I have any pain or trauma from that time of hearing no's? The answer is no, <laughs> I don't. But maybe at the time there was some of that. I just, uh, I don't, I don't remember it today. I, I'm sure it was like, you know, nobody wants to hear a no when they're trying mm -hmm. to just do good hard work. So I'm sure it was painful to, to go through that. But for me, it also drove some resilience and, you know, the, the deals that did convert gave me a taste of what I could do in life, right? Like why work for, again, put on a suit and tie and drive an hour and a half and go to Palo Alto and work for a very large company where you're nobody. Uh, when you can have this thing of your own, even if it's a little bit smaller and more niche. Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. And you guys quickly, um, you know, it was a long-term project. You were with Monsoon for almost 10 years, I believe. And you guys grew and grew and grew and you started getting on huge clients. I read Microsoft, Yammer, uh, you know, several very, HP, several very high esteemed companies and they don't just give their work to anybody, right? So how did you guys get to that point where you're acquiring big clients and what are kind of like some of the stumbles that you faced along the way uh, of getting there and the learnings that you, that you took in getting there? I think it's a combination of luck and just crazy grind and hustle. So I remember I can answer a lot about HP, but even before that time, I think my business partner was just happened to be on site at, I think Wells Fargo or Cisco when something broke down and happened to fix something, you know, small. So we got, we got an opening uh, with HP, very, very small RFPs like request for proposals. So they put it out to a bunch of uh, vendors and, you know, the, the getting in piece was, I wouldn't say was, terribly difficult 
right? Like it was because it was such a small project. So we, we just got lucky um, uh, most of the time when we got these like small breaks. But I think the real work came in upselling and making these grow into very, very large clients, which in turn influenced the business that we became uh, because of the work we got to. So I think a couple of lucky breaks that, that we had uh, but going from zero to 60, going from like this, you know, very, very small business to, to what we became towards the end, which was still in, you know, retrospect, it's still a small business. You know? uh, we we're 60, 70 odd people in, uh, in Berkeley at the time. Um, yeah, I think just, just doing high quality work, uh, keeping at it, people were quite happy with the work we were delivering and one project led to the, the you know, another, and we did some touchscreen work for HP. Um, they had a line of these uh, computers called TouchSmart. This is pre-iPhone days. This is 2005, I think. Windows Vista was crashing everywhere, left and right. And we had one little project called Notes. It's like when you get a phone these days, you have a Notes application. That was our entry into HP, if I remember correctly. And But from there on out, right, like uh, what, what I uncovered and, and we saw as a team is that there's just so much opportunity. They have all these vendors, they have like somebody else doing music, someone else doing calendars, someone else doing photos, and somebody else building the ecosystem. And uh, I remember having only one mission that we want to do it all. And, and, and we did, towards the end of it, I think we did, we did work for years and years and years with a ton of people for a company like HP. And then that started driving some specialized skills a lot of touchscreen development, for instance, right? So we got our hands on touchscreen. My business partner still uh, teased me because I bought a very, very expensive, I think it was $30,000 at the time, a computer called Microsoft Surface. And it was basically a 300 pound table that had a tabletop that was touchscreen. It was on a trip, it was like some Microsoft conference in Vegas I went to and you know, they were like, look, if you guys wanna build on it, you have to buy two of these. I was like, great, sign me up. And, you know, I came back from that trip with, uh, with two of these beasts, one that stayed home, one went to the office and I broke my ankle. So I, I used it to support my ankle for a while. And that became the joke, <laughs> that like a $30,000 ankle, ankle rest. We never really did anything with that project. So we had our fair share of misses, mm-hmm. but, you know, this, this kitchen touchscreen project called Kuchina is a code name, I think. Uh, just doing high quality work, uh, for one company, getting the word out, really trying to uh, not network as in like, I never believed in going to conferences and like saying, hey, hi, like, um, you know, here's my business card. Uh, can we get some work done for you? It was more just creating authentic friendships with people that we met. And, uh, and those friendships sooner or later, very organically delivered business, doing high quality work and upselling into the same client brought a lot of business. And then building some vertical expertise led to, to other leads. And, uh, and yeah, we just kind of grew from there. Awesome. And I, I have a question that I, I always think about when, you know, you say grind and a lot of entrepreneurs, when you're starting something, what, do, like, what is grind? And like, literally, what does the day look like when you're grinding? What do the weeks look like? It, it would be awesome to get an insight into that. Yeah, so it has, for better, for worse, for me personally, I feel like that hasn't changed much in, in two decades now. Uh, I think one is just, you know, there's so many parameters on the word grind or you know, hard work or struggle and, and all of these are intertwined. Uh, the big meaning for me, it, it still has a one-to-one correlation with time, right? how much time are you physically, mentally putting in? So to me, it was whether it's the days of, uh, of uh, uh, picking up the phone book and making calls, right? You can make calls for six hours a day and that's very tiring when you're on the phone getting a bunch of notes uh, to your earlier point. Or you can do those calls for 12 hours a day, uh, start early and, and just keep going. Um, even now, right? Like when we talk balance or, or what is grind, I think for me, the biggest definition is just like one perseverance, which is unrelated, but two time, right? Like putting as much time you can in a day where your brain just goes like, okay, like the CPU is now ready to shut down. I have nothing left uh, mm-hmm. in me. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, better or worse, I don't think that's, that's changed a whole lot uh, uh, in, in life yet. 
but that's 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 my definition of uh, of grind, just not giving up and putting in the time. And it's hard to go off on a tangent, but but why? Like, why are you like that? Why are you built like that? Is it something that's instilled in you? Is it something you learned? Is it something that you're, you know, there's a moonshot that you're looking at that you want to get to? You know, why are you grinding so hard? Well, there's been different reasons in in going back in time, right? Like the, the reason for the, the post-college, pre-monsoon uh, was survival, right? It was to pay the bills. Uh, then it was more, I think in the, in the days of monsoon, it was more, we want to build something high quality for ourselves and be independent, uh, financially independent, sort of have a, a, a team and, and work that has purpose. And with Jungly, we're a pretty large company. I think we're going to be at probably at 400 people in the next few months. And, and we're, we're, yeah, it's, it's been growing uh, but it's the grind here is more because it's growing at that pace. So it's, it's a different sort of very high pace, high growth environment, but why do it? That's a good question. I think there's probably two or three reasons. One, I feel like I'm fiercely competitive. Uh, so when I sign up for something, I just don't, you know, I want to give, give my best work, my life's best work to it. Um, I'll, I'll fail many times, but I want to make sure that I've just played my best game, even if I lost. So I think one reason is just being fiercely competitive. Uh, the other one is, and I can speak more about today is, is why that continues at, you know, 41 versus being a, a, you know, living on ramen and being 18, I'm, I'm 41 today and don't have those challenges. And, and uh, although still enjoy a lot of ramen. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the reason today, like I said, one is one's just the, the being competitive and, surrounding myself with with people that are like that too it's the learning opportunity right like i think running a business that continues to grow every you know just when you start thinking okay i think i got the there was a, there was a time two three years ago i think i was going around telling at least close friends so it doesn't come off egotistical but telling very very close friends that i got the blueprint i now have the blueprint of any business to consumer brand doesn't matter if it's gaming or e-commerce or blah 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 i got it Right. I've done the hard work. I've put in the time to my surprise, like the learning doesn't end. Right. Like there's just so much new. So intellectually, creatively, you know, like I could have never imagined like working with PhD data scientists and neuroscientists. So the learning and the curiosity, uh, besides being competitive, I think that'd be another good reason why, why that still continues in life. And then probably another reason would be, you know, uh, besides me looking at the looking at a stakeholder driven company so that includes not just founders business partners but investors and employees and shareholders everyone uh, customers how do you create something that benefits everyone you have to get to a certain size you have to grow to a certain size to to allow everyone else to taste success um, so that's a pretty big big reason I've, i have a i have a lot of people that are near and dear to me that are part of jungly and uh, while I want to see myself succeed, I also want to see them succeed. And that only comes with a certain size and scale. And it takes, takes uh, you to grind. And, uh, and last, man, I think it's opportunity. Uh, it really irks me and really bothers me when I see, you know, founders or other people that just have stuff in front of them, but just aren't doing enough. I've never told myself in the last 10, 20 years that I'm not doing enough. Right. So I always go to bed, sleep, you know, really energy deprived and, and most days sleep deprived. And but I've never I may be going sleep deprived, but I've never told myself like, hey, I didn't do enough or I could have done this better. So uh, opportunity is a big piece of it. This gaming is, is such a huge opportunity. Um, I don't know how I got into it. We could I'm happy to talk about that. But now that we're in it, like we got to give it our best shot and, and not be complacent and honor the opportunity that's in front of us. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's very, that's very helpful. And it really gives a, a good picture into, you know, a lot of people who are interested in getting into entrepreneurship, what the day looks like, what you kind of have to have in your mind. And you, you talked about jungly. Let's get into that. So monsoon during monsoon, I read, you know, you, you started to think, uh, I, I don't really want to do services anymore. I think products is a great way to go about it. And that kind of led you to starting Jungly, as well as there's kind of two avenues here. Uh, Monsoon got sold to Capital One. 
So could you kind of talk about that, you know, divergence in your thinking as well at the same time, you know, preparing to potentially sell Monsoon? Yeah, sure. I think, uh, you know, through that seven, 10 year period when we were running that company, the one thing that always caused a little bit of anxiety was just selling, right? You're always on the hook for a services company. You're constantly selling. Um, second one would be seeing amazing work not be fully honored right it's uh, uh building all these you know may have shipped maybe i don't know over the course of that company 300 400 products and not really seeing it being honored or see it getting letting it see the light of day uh seeing it succeed because somebody else managed the execution once we did the initial delivery i think it's a combination of like we got to get the heck out of services uh, because I don't want to upsell and, and, you know, go drive to Palo Alto this time for different reasons, not, not on a daily basis, but even on a weekly basis to retain and upsell our clients combined with like, we're doing some amazing work, getting fully emotionally vested into each of these products. It'd be not, we got it. We, we know how to do this. It'd be nice to have ownership of it. And, you know, backstory. And then just like that internship kind of somewhat, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad there's like some scar tissue from, from, from that, uh, that allowed me to be who I am. There's some scar tissue from going out of business almost twice at Monsoon. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, one of them was right after the financial market collapsed in 08. Uh, I remember doing a, a delayed honeymoon in 2009. I got married in 07, waited two years because just work, work was so crazy. And we didn't get that, we didn't feel the, the full wrath of the financial market collapse until 09, when one after another, all our clients started pulling the rug. And I think, I don't know if it was HP or Microsoft, but there's someone with a substantial percentage of our revenue that also pulled the rug. Uh, so I remember being in, in Paris and London, which by the way, I don't recommend doing a, a delayed, you know, if you're a beach lover, doing a delayed trip to, to, to these places in, in, the, <laughs> you know, in December in the winter time. Mm -hmm. But that's what I did. And I remember just standing in front of, it was like it, the whole week was just, it ended up being a lot of work because I, you know, just right before I left, ironically, it so happens. We have a joke internally also, like whenever we want to take a vacation or unplug just for one week, catastrophic failures happen. So for us, uh, right before that December month, uh, and maybe it was 08, I don't know, but like right before that, we were just like, every client was pulling back and, and it was right after the financial market collapse. And man, I remember standing in front of one, I was on the phone till three or 4 a.m. every night and uh, my wife was sleeping next to me in a tiny Paris hotel room, hearing me talk, yap on the phone all night. Um, every landmark, uh, Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, or whatever it's called, and um, Champs-Élysées, just standing out in front of all of these landmarks and back to back to back, signing one deal after another. NBA, US News, eBay, another project for HP or AT&T. And just like that, during that week, we were back, we were back in business. Uh, but, but that, you know, that we, it was, it was really good to taste going out of business this second time. The first time was kind of a warning shot. We didn't really have, you know, a big risk. This time we were in a decent office. We had full-time people and, uh, and yeah, I remember pulling family in and I think my business partner got his father-in-law in. Like we were just kind of stressing about what are we going to do? I couldn't cancel it. I'd already waited two years to do this. Um, but yeah, we just, we just, so going out of business twice. And then of course the resilience of this story, like I have, a, I have a lot of love for Paris, not for the culture or like the, the fact that it's uh, freezing cold at, in, at that time of the year, but more for the fact that every landmark there is associated with a deal I signed. Uh, and, and we came back just uh, really, really strong as a company with much more, a much more diversified portfolio. And so going out of business, but coming back to your question, I think going out of business almost twice, uh, knowing that, you know, we're at the mercy of our clients. Uh, then knowing that we constantly got to upsell throughout those 10 years, 
or eight or nine, whatever that number was, it was very, very clear that this is not something, at least personally, I wanted to do long-term. And I wanted to own, this is something I started, we're in it, we're gonna continue. It's financially very rewarding in our 20s, from our 20s into our 30s. Um, but we got, we're at mercy of our clients and, and we gotta keep up selling. So we, what we try to do throughout those 10 years is uh, at different stages, my business partners left and happy to you know, reflect on, on all the crazy things that we tried to start that never took off. Uh, but it was an ongoing thing. It wasn't like an overnight, hey, let's sell the company. In fact, I had uh, two of my business partners, you know, one had a passion for animation. So he went, he detached for a few years to run an animation studio. My other business partner, his dad owns a, 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 a dollar store franchise. They had 300 odd stores around the world. We started a 99 cent store online thing. All of us are passionate, we're Indian, so we're passionate for India. So we started an indianbusiness.com directory. And I think the crazy one that we still laugh about very, very hard, and it doesn't get old, is uh, uh, TechCrunch had a, a sort of an award called the Crunchies, I think. Mm. I think it was Crunchies. And then, you know, there's the Webby Awards. Because we were monsoon, you know, in the early days, we were delegating and outsourcing to different firms before we had our own in-house team in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so sources was another idea and I'm not talking these are paper napkin ideas I'm telling websites done contents there we're ready to go live and then we don't because we realize it's just so foolish but sources would have been in a uh, it was a it was an award show for outsourcing companies like that's how Whoa. Crazy, uh, <laughs> who that's would how, attend how, I'm saying who's who would be in attendance for those I have awards? no idea <laughs> uh, I no like I said, none of these ideas were, were, you know, had, I mean, maybe they had legs. I, I don't know, but this, some of them were just like batshit crazy. So, uh, but through, at different stages of the company, um, you know, my two business partners had, had tried to do different things. Um, and finally towards, you know, finally we're at a stage where business was coming. We had a local team, things were mature, processes were more or less mature. Uh, revenue was coming in. We had a great reputation in the Valley. Um, and that's when, you know, again, there was, this time it was my attempt to, to go do something. So I actually detached to run Jungly. There was, there were, there were a year and a half or two years where I remember kind of being part of both companies and, and being very active on both. And that was quite stressful uh, to juggle a, a startup that's built in another, that's being built for another country. Uh, but for more or less, I give credit to my business partners because the, the, the one or two years that I had to spend before the exit to Capital One happened, they kind of continued to captain the ship and saw it through the exit. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, so I, I started focusing on Jungly full time and, you know, of course, was very much a part of Monsoon and, and advising and participating, but, uh, but uh, had my focus and, and the exit happened very, very organically services companies have a real tough time uh, getting acquired, right? Like there's just, you know, it's a services. Um, we're very fortunate in that sense that we were able to get uh, a meaningful outcome for, for a consulting business. And, and that happened because Capital One came in, you know, we had some excellent clients, Yammer, coupons.com, public companies, Fortune 100s, Tom Shoes, Zazzle, uh, of course the HPs, Microsofts of the world and uh, Amex and Capital One also came in just as a client and they just fell in love with, you know, it's re the, this is now in I think 2015. So it hasn't been that long, 2014 or 15. Um, having that kind of creative and software talent and having a sort of a dev shop or a boutique uh, custom software firm with designers and iOS developers and getting access to that much talent that can move things fast is really exciting for a big company. And I, I totally get it why. Um, Capital One is like what, 65 or 100,000, some crazy amount of employees. Um, but they saw that in us. So it was a very organic thing. They're like, uh, where, where they came in, they worked with us and, and you know, asked us if we're open. And of course, like, we played it cool, but in the back of it, we're like, tell us where to sign, right? Like, this is, this is it. Uh, tell us where to sign. We've been waiting for, the, for this day for so long. And it was even more exciting because Jungly had started to show a promise. So we're like, great, like we could just now focus on this one thing. Um, so yeah, everybody got golden handcuffs and, and 
you know, went to Capital One. And, uh, but yeah, for me, I had started running Jungly. Uh, and it was actually in the back of my head since uh, 2010 and 11, but it really didn't start until 2012, 2013. Okay. And, and how did the idea for Jungly actually come to you? Because, you know, on the face of it, it seems a little bit left field because you're in the US and you're thinking games, okay? So you'd probably think, yeah, I'm gonna make games for people in the US, but you said, no, I'm gonna go to India, which is obviously a huge market. Um, so how did that idea come up and how did it get started? Was there like just a ton of traveling back and forth between India and the US to get it going? Not until we were off the ground and generating revenue, interestingly enough. So the idea came, I'm, I'm not a gamer, uh, uh, you know, ironically. Uh, PC, console, mobile, somehow I've skipped them all. Uh, I'm just not a gamer. And uh, in, in the traditional sense of gaming, like I don't, I'm not playing Fortnite or PUBG. And, you know, I never, I think I had an Atari 2600 when I was a kid. That might have been it. Uh, and that didn't, that didn't last very long. So for me, the, the one genre that's always been interesting is, you know, party poker, I think is what launched in 2000. This is like the days of internship transitioning into graduation, transitioning to picking up the phone book and calling people. And in between those hours, there was a lot of time. And I remember playing a lot of online poker um, and, you know, being 19, 20, 21, uh, the, the days where I still enjoyed going to Vegas, um, and, uh, and going there for March Madness, even though I, pl- I watch almost no basketball or any sports for that matter, right? I just have, I have very little interest in spending time seeing other men compete and uh, <laughs> on the field. I do that for a living in my, my real life and business. So mm-hmm. I have very little interest, but I used to love just kind of going there and, and, uh, and, and wagering and, and staking against uh, both sports and, and then also playing a lot of poker online and offline. And, you know, being Indian, you know, having uh, spent time there as, as a kid, also know that it's engraved in our culture, right, to, to play some of these games. So for me, it was like, there's a lot going on there. But I think the real catalyst was in 2010 or 2011, if you remember, uh, Farmville and, and a bunch yep. of games on Facebook were taking off. Zynga Poker was one of them. And they were the first sort of social experience come on facebook play with chips play with your friends um so zynga had happened in 2010 and again the itch to get out of services was there uh so when time permitted uh it felt like when we i did a very rough scan and i went and did a scan of even brazil and turkey right and the scan i did was like is there a zynga of this country so is there a zynga of brazil yeah there was a company called Bostu, I think. Is there a Zynga of Turkey, P Games? Is there a Zynga of India? No, there isn't. In fact, some of the cold emails I've said, uh, I sent uh, to investors at the time are the subject line is no Zynga of India yet. So that was really the inspiration saying like, look, there's a billion people, more and more are going to come online. Why is there no one providing high quality gaming content to, to serve the Indian consumers? And the the, the hypothesis at the time, or at least the feedback I got from people was the consumers in, in India don't monetize. And that just didn't make any sense to me. And then I did a scan and looked at the, the, the games that were out there. And it felt like the quality of content that I saw was worse coming out of a, th- a hundred person studio than I was seeing uh, be developed by two people here in the Valley. So I just felt quite bullish that, you know, there's, there's potential in that market. It's just, it, it, it's just early and somebody needs to crack it. And with all the work I've done on product, even though we never did, the one product we never built was game. Uh, and that's a different beast altogether. Probably the most complex relative to all the work done at Monsoon, whether it was touchscreen or blah, blah, blah. It's a high availability, high security system with real money, transactions, risk. Uh, it's a, finan- it's a fi- FinTech sort of, it's a financial services platform similar to banking or trading so it's a very complex system uh, one that i had no exposure to but the idea or the catalyst was was that like let's go build uh, how do we get out of services we've tried a few different things i want to try something and this is an area of interest for me and i think there's an opportunity in in, in india so let's go do it there uh, to answer other question 
so we we started, I think, in 2012 is really when I had a call with a founder who had a company in, in Singapore, and they had a they had a Facebook game that was quite popular, Home Run Ventures and and How's That were their two games, a baseball game and another cricket game. So those are their two games, and and you know had a call with him, and he really introduced me to some of the products we operate today. He introduced me to games of skill and how the the environment around those uh, tends to work. So very quickly we pivoted to to games like Rummy and then subsequently fantasy sports. And uh, and yeah, that's 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 kind of the backstory of uh, how it all started. And, uh, but then once it happened, it happened very quickly. We knew that if that's the market we need to serve, we need to be there. Was it really like that? Like because so when you're starting a business, right? You're starting something new, and you have some money coming in from your previous sale. Do, is that the money that you use to get the company going? You mentioned investors. Did you get them in? Because I imagine the whole process of getting a game out must be pretty expensive from marketing, you know, acquiring customers, actually designing the game because they're very intricate, you know, with the way you design it and, and putting it out there, it must've been expensive. So how did you guys go about funding it? And did you do it yourself or did you get outside investors? It's still expensive to build games by the way, but yes, uh, at the time we, I'll answer both. I think the, the initial funding, the all the money, and it was quite expensive. We hired a firm in I think call in Denver, uh, and uh, and to build this because we just didn't have the resources in house to do it, and uh, and the company was bootstrapped. Uh, me and my business partners put up, uh, we put in the the capital that it needed for for better part of the first year or two, uh, and it was a lot of money. And and this is pre exit, remember? So this is kind of just you know our own savings going into it and a big risk at the time. Uh, as far as investors go, uh, that started happening once, you know, once we had traction, once there was a product market fit, once it's still, I think 200, maybe 300 uh, meetings, like 200, 300 different investment groups, individual investors, angels that we knocked on. Again, it was like the, the picking up the phone book and calling and just getting rejection after rejection. That was probably more disappointing for me than like being 19 or 21 years old and, and getting somebody to say no for a, a website project. Um, but you know, eventually, um, yeah, but it, it was a massive challenge to, to raise money in the early days. Of course, tables have turned today, but at that time, two, 300 doors at least, uh, and ultimately rallied up just kind of interest from family and friends, some of Monsoon's old clients and, uh, also managed to attract like one or two institutional guys uh, that either or family offices that, that did, uh, you know, personal investments and or through the fund. Uh, but we just didn't raise that much capital. It turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But at the time, if you would asked me, I was like, man, this is the most frustrating piece. But I get it. We didn't, you know, uh, people were going like, okay, so you're based here and you're building a gaming company that's based in India and you don't have a team, you're using a dev shop in Denver, I, no check boxes were checked, right? So in hindsight, like I, I see why we got the level of rejection we did, but it turned out to be a blessing because we have a lot of like, you know, people who, who took that bet early on are now, you know, will stand again massively and, uh, but yeah, it was, it wasn't, that wasn't a, that wasn't an easy period. But, but I'm and interested we, because we continue to risk. I think even post the, you know, the way we operated, just like continue to risk a lot personally for many years, not just uh, the year of investment or lack thereof. Wow. And, and I'm, it, I'm interested because that's a valid point that investors are bringing up, right? Like you don't have a team, you're not in India. Like you, you yeah. haven't been there since you were a kid and, maybe you don't know the market. So what did you respond to that? And what was your thinking? Because did that cause doubt in your mind saying that, you know, look, maybe, maybe these guys are right. These are very well-known investors. These guys know what they're talking about. Uh, so did that cause doubt for you? No, you know, surprisingly, uh, and maybe that's a problem. Like there's very, there's, there's very little self-doubt. Uh, it didn't cause any self-doubt. I think what it, it was more of a disappointment. It's like, you guys don't understand. Like there's a, I am only thing standing between me. And if you come on board as a shareholder, the only thing standing between us 
to take this to the moon is capital. And, you know, I've already, and I'm showing you that I've taken a big, massive, high six-figure, low seven-figure personal risk at, at a time. This is pre-exit, right? Like I've taken a, a big personal risk uh, and I've gotten traction and there's revenues coming in and there's this coming in. I think we also had competitive risk because we had, we had competition that was six or seven years older than us, backed by, you know, well-known tier one investors. So that was another part of the checkbox that we didn't check saying like you're not the first mover you're like the third or the 20th mover in the space when you have venture back competition so no no self-doubt more just like uh frustration saying you guys don't understand like with just a little bit of capital we can do a lot of damage but you know it is what it is uh you, you know things you don't have control over you just don't so no no it didn't lead to self-doubt it just led to a lot of like pain and frustration around and, and especially for me because I had already been I think investing for at least a year or two at that time personally mm. so for me you know having a great network of people getting a meeting with the you know senior partner at any fund was a non-issue for me for most founders at that age starting their first company that alone is a is a barrier to entry so for me, I think the frustration level was even higher saying, man, I know all these people, right? Like I know these people, I'm getting in, I'm meeting with them. They see me, they're clearly impressed by the work we've done. Uh, why are they not turn, you know, tilting? But you know, they didn't tilt and we scraped, uh, uh, you know, small, small, tiny amounts of money here and there and got enough to get us going and, and haven't had to raise money since, since that, you know, since 2013. Wow, that that's that's awesome, especially for a products-based company that's that's growing so fast. Uh, can I can I ask you? Can I ask you? Um, so you're growing and you keep growing. So I've seen percentages like eighty to one hundred percent year over year, uh, which is incredibly tough. And you know, you talk a lot about how culture is one of the major major reasons for growth within the company and. When I've looked through your website and I've seen videos of, of how your culture is, you know, you say, you say things like fail fast, fail often, don't ask for permission, lead with love. You know, these are things that you hear about, um, but they're still very unique, um, especially to companies in India. So could you talk about the importance of culture, what these terms kind of mean to you, and how do you really ingrain that into people? Great question. Uh, I could talk about this all day. It's my favorite subject more than uh, more than numbers and and you know growth and financing and all that. Uh, I think yeah, touch on lead with love, right? I think it's uh, uh, one of our core values and 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 it's uh, and all you know cultures of course everybody now. I think there's no one who runs a company today that doesn't understand how important culture is. I think everybody gets that. Uh, for us, it's the it's at the heart of everything, and it's driven where we are. And on specifically on the lead with love, right? I think it's it's a lot of like choice of words. It's empathy with other people. Uh, it's leading with with love, not with respect and not fear, right? Even the use of word love, right? Like uh, in a mostly, and it'll you know, whether we like it or not, it'll stay that way for a little while. Change is coming, change is happening, but it's in, in a mostly masculine sort of environment. Uh, very, very alpha, uh, intelligent uh, sort of folks that have their egos, uh, you know, have, think they bring a lot to the table. How do you create that sense of empathy and how do you force people like, you know, older dudes even to to use the word love right it's not it's not one of those things that it's not a it's not something that comes naturally in you know in in, in like the the world of execs and leaders and so i think uh, yeah just just coaching a lot saying like how do you if, if you're unhappy with something or someone how do you react right like what are your choice of words are great quote right like raise your words not your voice um so dealing with and and i could talk more about implementing but just to touch on that for another second i think leading with love for me is 
how do you truly care about the the people that work with you like not just showing it like ch making a you know having an obligation to, at the start of every meeting doing a 30 second personal check or an artificial smile no none of that like how do you truly love people you work with like you love your family or you love your close friends is that possible is it even necessary like why the fuck do i need to love uh someone at work right like i, I have enough people to love i personally feel like work becomes especially in a high-paced high-growth environment like ours where you're constantly challenged you're sleep deprived half half the time um there's so much firefighting there's so many problems to solve how do you create an environment where people actually truly start loving each other and love can carry a different meaning uh, you know it, it, can they speak with each other with more empathy um, you know and and how do you how do you distill that i think it's actions always as we know speak louder than than words right so i think uh, if you want to create an environment with has that has the kind of chaos jungly does but you can also have some fun and 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 be drama free and really one of the things we tell people is even if you stay for a year or 10 or a month it's my personal mission you walk out and you feel like you've upgraded yourself a little bit by the time you do so distilling that into the culture and what it does i can i could speak to that i think it's more actions right it's my personally how do leaders act like i said in you know if somebody makes a mistake and i'm not talking a mistake let's say somebody makes a catastrophic mistake what do you do how do you like draw the line between frustration that would lead to your own anger or emotion coming out as opposed to saying you know this is done business is going to suffer it's it may be your neck on the line but how do you truly like build empathy and love into that situation and and show everyone else how you act when a mistake is made um set that that's one way to do it is just kind of act right like uh and and personally i do and then the second is spending a lot of time coaching like i've personally pulled out people out of a meeting uh when a meeting happens and i see somebody go below the line in their choice of words or or tone i've pulled people aside it's important to, like i've refused meetings that were uh probably important for the business right after to take the time to pull someone aside privately and coach them and say look that was kind of below the line and i think here's how to do it above the line and done it one-on-one. -on -one. And if you start doing it for the key leaders, they start doing it with their teams and it goes on from there, right? It's, a, it's the best pyramid scheme in the world. Um, so I think it's part action, doing it yourself. Uh, nobody takes more inspiration than, 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 than seeing it in action. It's part coaching, like spending endless, like I've had endless, endless amounts of uh, the people who I directly work with, the five or 10 people that I directly work with, hours and hours and hours of, conversations in cab rides or like hotel rooms over a bottle of wine just to coach and bring this in uh, and then third is i think repetition also works well right there's a reason why every time you get on an airplane uh you see the same video and you never pay attention right but there's a reason for that because they're showing you showing it to you so many times that the one time god forbid you need to use it uh you will likely remember how the exit door works and what you need to pull on and push on uh, to jump off that that slide um, so i think it's repetition every stand up we do a uh, lot of emails you know a quarterly retrospection email or uh, especially like an end of the year note uh, repeating that like what what that means and what leading with love with it's kind of repetition of that uh, just putting it on the on your walls and putting up a giant poster wouldn't work but i think if you if you act if you coach and everybody follows with their actions, then I think repetition certainly helps. So for us, it's a lot of meetings, a lot of emails carry that, that tone. And we've seen, the, we've seen the change, right? Like we're a company of what, almost a little over 350, almost 350 people now, multiple countries, uh, multiple cities, and our net desired attrition over a period of seven or eight years is under 10%. The number of people that have left us at will that you know we wouldn't have terminated for non-performance or culture misfit or any of that that number is less than 10 percent combined aggregate over a seven eight year period i haven't heard those numbers so i wow. and the reason why i love to speak about this is not just from like it's a it's a sense of pride 
and uh, you know, not not to talk about like oh, we're we're so good that we have low attrition, but like like culture really drives this stuff and these values. If you go beyond just putting a nice poster in your in your office, if you if you really intertwine that and it becomes the the tone of the company, it really helps. And look, when you're where it really shines is high pace high stress situations right chaos right like 17th on your can you take a deep breath and like act with empathy on the 17th hour of your day um when you're like ready to crash you've had a full day but you have someone that may not have done something they may have done something you just don't like uh how do you react to that so I think it just really helps keep people sane. And, and look, I want to have, you know, you never know. Jungle is a great business today. I've been very open with all our stakeholders. You just don't know what happens tomorrow, right? Nobody knew Airbnb is a great business until overnight because of COVID. It, it takes a massive hit. And so, so like a bloodbath that's out there in the world. You just never know how and when, what happens to a business, even though it looks very rosy today the the one thing i want to ensure is personally also selfishly i'm having fun building it and uh and you know finding peace and sort of happiness and working with people that truly become friends and and the only way to do that is have have this great culture at, at its core I just want to quickly touch on before we go into some of the conclusion questions. Is that something you, you learned or is that something that is kind of your personality? Because I, I 100% know that I could imagine that feeling of the 17th hour. Someone does something awful. You got to take it. It's almost like a meditative thing, right? You got to learn how to you know, control your emotion. Is, is that who you are or it's something you learned because of you know, your previous experience? 100% something I learned. Uh, and I would say five, seven years ago, I was a different person myself, right? I carried a lot more stress and anxiety than I do today. Uh, uh, in fact, like I'm like, yeah, I can, I can, you know, I can bring on the curveball. I can, I can handle them now. So knowing that I've been able to reformat and rewire my brain to become a happier anxiety, mostly stress-free person, um, it'd be very selfish not to share the tools that allowed me to get here but that certainly wasn't always the case it's it's definitely a skill you you can learn i have a close friend who talks a lot about like learning happiness and acquiring tools to do that so uh, you know i've been very fortunate to be surrounded by great people uh, i was always a happy you know i was always kind of a happy person i think i had a lot of love uh have a lot of love not had but have a lot of love around me uh, uh, first, you know, family, friends, everyone. Uh, so always happy, but I think like the, if it's really difficult for founders to detach their identity from that of their business. And, and if you can, and it's still tough for me, don't get me wrong. Um, and stuff still, you know, uh, there's still curveballs flying left and right, but just dealing with them in a, in a much better way than I was able to. And, and I want to make sure that everyone that works with us gets to work towards uh doing that as well and some people are natural at it which is great like mm -hmm. good for them like I, I wish i wish i had that for me it was, it's a it's an acquired skill i, I just finished the book uh delivering happiness by the zappos yeah, founder oh really yeah yeah it was back in two it was like yeah it was between 2000 2005 i don't know it was like or, yeah somewhere around that time maybe oh oh six oh seven maybe not that early uh, after the Zappos sale or right around that time. So yeah, uh, I remember reading. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of parallels. I, I recommend anybody who's listening to go check that out. It's all about giving happiness to all stakeholders involved in a business. And yeah. I, I want to ask, you, 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 you touched upon it earlier. You've transitioned into investing. And I kind of want to talk about in your investing life, what are the kind of things that you see in an entrepreneur or in a business that you look for uh, before making an investment? I mean, as cliched as it sounds, I think it's it, a lot goes into the team, right? Team and, and the key people before the product, the idea, the product market fit. Um, I look for resilience, right? Like I think uh, uh, can, can this 
you know, individual persevere or groups of, or a group of individuals persevere through thick and thin? Can they handle, you know, and I'm, we're seeing kind of the great, great founders, the great people do that even during COVID. Like I had a call with someone that had a clothing line that went down to zero and, you know, the sort of innovation and the quick pivoting and the quick thinking. And uh, it's been, it's been interesting. So I think definitely the people, are they resilient? Can they, can they deal with any situation? If I had to pick two more things, besides IQ, I definitely look for high EQ, right? One thing I've learned is like running a company, yeah, great, like you know numbers, you know data, you have a great product analyst, blah, 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 blah. You're a great designer. Uh, how do you deal with the people side of things? Because that's, that's a big piece of it, right? Uh, are, you, are you personally uh, either already there or at least willing to get there in terms of like an emotional quotient. Uh, I look for curiosity. Like, are you curious to learn? Are you the, are you the person or the group that will challenge uh, yourself to, to, to keep learning? And, or are you coming in saying like, we know everything about this and, and we're the best ones in the market and this is a decacorn and you need to invest? Sorry, no thanks. Uh, so I think resilience, um, personality-wise, I think high emotional uh, intelligence, because that like it's big part. At least from a like, if you're especially if you're the top one or two people, that's that's critical. Um, and uh, what else? I look. Oh, I look for this is something I look for. By the way, a lot of the stuff I'm sharing, I also look for it in, in when we hire leaders, right? Uh, and and one of the questions I've been asking in interviews it like really surprises people. I think sometimes it's it may be a little repulsive, but they're definitely taken aback when I said, "Are you happy?" And a lot a lot of times it it leads into follow up questions like, "What do you mean?" Like today, I was like, "No, no, no!" Like, are you a happy person? Like, tell me what is what is what does life look like for you on a scale of one to ten? Because I've learned in, in my personal experience that. People who are, you know, just already not happy and also not willing to learn to get there because they're they're lacking the curiosity to learn. Uh, that's that's you avoid that. You know, like it's just uh, so uh, so. Yeah, I think I think curiosity to learn, perseverance, uh, a high emotional uh, intelligence, and and then happiness meter. I asked them where their head is at on the happiness scale. Well, and I think that that kind of links to my my last question. Um, and if it's the same thing, you you can let me know. In like a few words or you know a few statements, what do you think it takes to build something great from scratch? Is it those same points, or is it something you know more that you could add? I think it's those same points. I think it's a lot of perseverance. I think it's a lot of like curiosity. Um, the the you know the willingness, the desire to challenge yourself to learn. Uh, that's, that's a big one, uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a lot of the same. There's a, there's a you know, great quote on, uh, on time that I put on my phone. Uh, it's like a wallpaper. Uh, mm -hmm. So every time I take it out of sleep mode, it says the trouble is you think you have time, right? It's a, it's a great quote. I absolutely love it. Uh, and, and, you, you think you have time, but you really don't. There's no guarantees what happens tomorrow. So even though you're fighting and, you know, just surround yourself, whether it's people you invest in, people you work with, uh, just surround yourself with people that just, you know, are, are fun, good, good humans. And, or even if they're not where you want them to be or where you think they need to be uh, willing to get there, right? Willing to learn, willing to, to learn the tools to be happy, peaceful, all of that, right? It's a, it's a, uh, these things are not mutually exclusive. Um, so yeah, I think, I think those are, it's, there's a lot of overlap between what you look for in a, in a founder to invest in or what you would look for in a leader or someone that would have to start something from scratch. Great. Uh, Ankush, I want to say thank you so much for spending this time with me. I know you're running into another meeting soon, so I'm so, I'm so thankful to have you on. I think there's so many learnings that people can take uh, from our discussion. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's always great to reflect on this. Uh, uh, equally enjoyed it. It's a blast from the past to, 
think about some things I haven't thought to in, in, in two decades. So uh, thanks for having me and uh, yeah, great to, great to get to know you. Amazing. And thank you everybody for tuning into this podcast. Let me know if you have any questions, you know, put them in the comment section below and I'll also forward some emails to Ankush. And if he has the time, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you on those questions. And if you haven't already, make sure to leave a subscribe. That would be awesome. And stay tuned for more episodes with founders making impact in India. See you in the next one.